Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is ever at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, unable to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it, make great, it makes great, great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. All, anim all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and, within, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring, spring produce fresh water. And that's the light of the Lord. All right, let's pray and then um, keep our minds active as we work through this important passage. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time we share together. We thank you that we can spend time thinking about your word. And Lord, we pray that we'd understand it more deeply and also respond to you in the right way. And we pray for your help to, to do that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever had a slip of the tongue where you've sort of said things you maybe wished you hadn't? Well, this year, uh, something like that happened at Wimbledon. Uh, Australian tennis player Nick Curios played against Argentine Diego Schwartzman. He sounds more like a German. Uh, and Nick Curios had a very good match. But the match wasn't without some controversy. Because uh, Curios became angry with the umpire, Mohamed Layani, and his handling of a disputed line call in the sixth game of the third set. Well, it didn't go Curios's way. And as he walked back to serve, the courtside microphones picked up something that he said, describing an unidentified target as dirty scum, unbelievable. And soon, that was said soon after the dispute. So when Nick Curios was asked about this incident in a post-match interview, he said, yeah, I knew you guys would ask me about that. He said, I wasn't referring to the ref at all out there. Oh, that's a relief. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was towards myself. That's what he said. It wasn't to the ref. And when he was asked why he would direct such a comment like that to himself, Curious said in good Australian English, because I can. <laughs> well, it didn't cost him the match. He still managed an impressive win. Uh, but we notice there, when people are under pressure, sometimes taming the tongue can be tricky. Well, it's all very well to uh, look at Nick Kyrgios and his mistakes. Uh, the challenge for today is to look at our own hearts, isn't it, and our own tongues. 
Well, before James gets into the section, really where he starts to deal with taming the tongue, uh, he does give some wisdom for those who use their mouths a lot. People like me, my wife would say, talking underwater, etc. And the first point from James is not many should presume to be teachers. You'll see that in your outline if you're following along there. I'll read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. James says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Well, James isn't saying that there shouldn't be any teachers, only that not many should presume to be. And that's given, there's a reason given, and it's the, the teachers will be judged more strictly. They're judged more strictly by God, but they're also under scrutiny by everybody else. It was interesting uh, reading that sentence as I prepared this talk. Well, this warning's in good company with other warnings in the Bible for teachers. For example, when Paul writes to Timothy about appointing elders, he says one of the qualities that these people have got is that they're apt to teach. They hold, deep, they hold the deep truths and they're able to teach these things. And he says concerning that kind of person, they mustn't be a recent convert. He says they must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall under the condemnation of the devil. And so a recent convert mustn't presume to be a teacher of God's word. Furthermore, Paul warns against those who want to be teachers for the wrong reasons. Again, in Timothy, he talks about some people who desire to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. He's saying these people, they're, they're ungodly, uh, they're ignorant, they're spiritually immature, they want to be teachers. Why? Well, that's a good question, but it's probably for ungodly reasons. They might like to have some sort of feeling of being over the next person. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus actually warned us about with the teachers of his time, the rabbis. This is what he wrote in Matthew 23. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Now, the phylacteries, if you remember, are the little boxes that they had to put scripture verses in, and they tied them around their foreheads and put them on their arm. But these guys made them really big so that they, they stood out for all to see. And they had tassels on their garments that were long. They loved places of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They loved to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Well, these people were big on doing things to be impressed, uh, impressed people. Uh, but Jesus says they get their reward paid in full when people congratulate them. But we're warned against that reason to be some sort of teacher of God's word, to do it to be seen by men. But having said that, even though there are warnings against being a teacher of God's word, uh, as the youth group learnt on Friday night, we discovered that from Romans chapter 10, how can people hear the word of God and turn to Christ unless someone teaches or preaches. And so somebody's got to do it. It's, a, it's an important job to be done. And furthermore, Paul encourages people to teach God's word. As he says to Timothy, what you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. He wants good teaching passed down, not rubbish teaching, not rotten teaching. 
with faith and love in Christ Jesus. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. So Paul's saying it's important to have some teaching that's good teaching that's passed and held on to. And he takes into account the next gen, as they would say in our society, the next generation, and says, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach. And so we see that there is a need to pass the baton on, that illustration from the Olympics in the relay where they, they pass the baton on, they don't drop the baton and get disqualified. We've got to pass the, pat, the baton on of good teaching, the gospel, the good deposit, the word of God needs to be held on to us, uh, by us, and passed on to the next generation through teaching. The responsibility is a great one, and James also includes himself when he talks about warnings against being a teacher of God's word. He says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. That is, we all sin, including James the teacher, including this teacher. And one of the ways that we do sin is in our words. For the tongue reveals what's in our hearts. We'll pick it up in verse 2. If anyone is never at fault in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Show me the person who never makes a mistake when they speak and I'll show you a perfect person. But that's really James's point here, isn't it? There are no heroes out there. There are no perfect people. And we can tell that by the faults people make when they speak and when we speak. Jesus says from... Out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. And so the tongue reveals what's in our hearts, whether for good or for evil. And if we ever needed any proof about what the Bible says about people having a sinful nature, we only need to listen long enough to what we say and to what others say to draw that conclusion that, yes, we're not perfect people. We are, in fact, sinful. Even the Proverbs say, when words are many... Sin is not absent. Well, the tongue is a small thing, but it has a big impact. And James gives us three illustrations to start to engage with how little things uh, can create a big splash, have big effects. In the first instance, he starts to talk, take us uh, from the world of the farm. And we look at the horses. In verse 3, he says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Now, bits can really help us if we want to ride a horse and get it to take us where we want to go. I rode a horse uh, a while ago at a mate's place that had a, a bit and bridle in the horse, and the horse still knew where the overhanging branch in the yard was. And after it had enough of me, it walked directly to that branch, that solid branch, that rough and hard branch that was uh, head high and it knocked me off the horse's back as the horse went under it and I went into it. But I must say I was still grateful that I had a bit and a bridle to try to stick with the horse and steer where I could go for a while but I can imagine how much harder it would be to ride the horse bareback and uh, get around that way. The bit is a helpful thing particularly if you know how to ride a horse in the first place 
uh, a small thing can still make a big difference in controlling the horse where it, where it should go. The second example is a maritime one from the ocean. In verse 4, he says, Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Here we're introduced to the idea that a ship could be blown off course with the strong winds except for its little rudder. It has a, a big impact on taking the ship where it should be going. It's only small, but it makes a big difference. And James is raising these small but big impact ideas for us because he wants us to feel the weight of the impact that our tongues can have as well. Even they're only small... He says in verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. We see that there is a bit of history of humanity boasting against God uh, throughout the Bible. Even towards the beginning at the Tower of Babel, people boasted that they wanted to make a name for themselves and then build a tower into the heavens. As God comes and looks down at their puny building, uh, they're judged and scattered for being boastful in their attitude. During the exile, uh, one of the Babylonian kings, King Belshazzar, uh, had a terrifying time after he uh, took the goblets that had been from the Jerusalem temple and, he, and he, uh, he boastfully praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone as he and his guests drank from the goblets that came from the Jerusalem temple. Well, he was terrified when he saw writing appear on the wall at his party. And Daniel reveals God's judgment to him for his boastful attitude. This was Daniel's message from God to King Belshazzar. You praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription, many, many, tekel, parson. Which means, in Aramaic, I think, uh, God has numbered your days and brought it to an end. You've been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over his kingdom. The tongue's a small part of the body, but it can have great boasts. And King Belshazzar was judged for his boastfulness towards God. But I think the take-home message for us at this point is not to be among those who are boasting before God. We need to remember our place as God's creatures. And we shouldn't be having boastful lives in our attitudes towards him but we should have lives that are submissive to God's sovereign kingship over our lives. We're the ones who ought to be confessing that Jesus is Lord and not ourselves as Lord. Well, the third illustration that James brings to us about having a big impact of something small that has a big impact is from the world of fire, the tongue and fire. In verse 5, he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James notes that it only takes a small spark uh, to set a great forest on fire or in Australia sometimes it takes a artillery shell around near Lithgow to explode and create a big fire and then you have little embers that float out and start other big fires. It's only a little spark and there's big impacts. And James starts to work with this image of, of a spark and fire and the tongue. And he starts to make a point, a couple of points, and one of them that the tongue is a fire. Now, of course, this is just a metaphor, really, to begin with. It's like saying the storm is an angry bull or a raging bull. We know the storm's not a raging bull, it's a storm, but it's ferocious in its intensity, like a, a raging bull might be. And James is saying the tongue is a fire. He's giving us a, a visual impact of what the tongue is like. And as James points out that the tongue corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell, I take it that he means that people who live boastfully before God are living in a way that God ultimately will not tolerate. As they speak words which are rebellious and they reveal their rebellious nature towards God as those who don't submit to God as king and speak words which show they, they don't love him, they'll find the results of that kind of life result in God's condemnation. And afterwards, life away from his blessing in a place described as hell, which Jesus seems to talk quite a lot about because he doesn't want people to go there. He wants to people to turn back to God uh, to humble themselves before God and ask for forgiveness and mercy. And yet life need not end in God's condemnation. Quite the opposite, really, as we've seen already from James chapter 1, verse 12. Those who persevere with their faith in Christ, even through trials, will receive what's described as the crown of life, that God's promised to those who love him, not those who are boastful rebels who want to do their own thing and live life without him as king. And so the challenges for us today is to remain among those who continue to trust in the kingship of God, to trust in Jesus as our Lord, to be counted among those who do actually love God and those who will later at the end receive that wonderful crown of life. And yet now is the time in between that period when we face the, the challenges to tame the tongue. In verses 7 and 8, we see that all kinds of creatures are being brought under control, but the tongue is tricky to control. I'll read out verse 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, you don't have to go to SeaWorld to know that uh, all kinds of creatures are being tamed, you know, seals with balancing balls on their nose, dolphins diving through hoops of flame, all sorts of creatures uh, 
are being tamed or at least captured. But the message here is whatever else you can do with a creature to tame it or bring it under control, James insists that no one can tame the tongue. And I suppose the message here is that we need to accept our limitations. That we, at times, put our feet in our mouths. And the joke runs that we sometimes open mouths to change feet. Uh, we do it, and so do others. Yet despite the fact that we don't always honour God in our speech, we're still left with the challenge to develop more self-control as Christians. That's part of the message of the book of James. It's not about just reading the word and forgetting about it. Uh, it's not just about saying, I've got this great faith. It's about saying we, we test our belief by what we do and not what we say. And we have to show that we believe it. God doesn't want our walk with him to stagnate. Instead, he calls us to that active Christian life of putting to death sin and to work at walking in the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And self-control with respect to the tongue is a lifelong project, one in which we will live with some failure. We will live with failure in this area. And yet we're not called to surrender in this battle. Our challenge is to continue to be those who work at taming the tongue, work at watching what we say. And specifically, James gives us an area to work at. And it's in respect to hypocrisy. In verses 9 through to 12, it is true that we can be hypocritical. In verse 9 through to 12, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, we can sing and praise God together, and that's one of the high points of the, the Christian life, that we're united with Jesus as Lord, and we rejoice in uh, the salvation we enjoy and being God's people, and it's a good thing to do. But James notes it shouldn't be that we also use that same mouth to curse people who are also made in God's image. He's saying there's a, there's a breakdown in our Christian lives when this kind of thing's happening. And he starts to raise the question, uh, neither can salt, a salt spring produce fresh water. So we've got to ask ourselves, what are we? Are we, are we the salt spring or are we, are we going to be the ones producing the fresh water? Well, we've all been guilty in failing in our speech. And this morning we've probably had a bit of a time to think about some of our shortcomings. But we also know that uh, God knows that we fail and fall short uh, and he's yet been kind to us to provide salvation. In his wisdom he has provided us a saviour, Jesus our Lord, who died and rose again to bear our sin, to bear our failings. And that's so that we don't experience God's condemnation. That's so that we are among those who look forward to the crown of life that's given to those who do love God. 
And so may God help us to be those people that, that face up to our shortcomings, to recognise where we, we blunder with our speech and to turn from those things, to actually work at it, to be those who are committed to a bit more self-control. It's not easy to exercise self-control, but at least we've got to be in the fight to, to work at it and be those who battle with taming the tongue and to do all this for God's glory and honour. Well, let's wrap it up there and ask God to help us in that struggle to tame our tongues. Let us pray. And Lord God, we do think about uh, the ways that we do have flippant speech where we say things that we don't bring honour to in and sometimes with the loose words we, when we use language that's, uh, that's shameful as well. Lord, we think about the way that we do stumble, all stumble, in many ways with our speech. And Lord, we do pray for uh, wisdom not to have too many words at times so that there's less sin. Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness for the times when we have said things that are hurtful and things that are shameful and wrong. And Lord, we do pray that you'd help us uh, to struggle in this age, uh, to put to death those things that, that are shameful and instead to work hard at self-control uh, with, our, with our mouths. Lord, we do thank you for the forgiveness we, we do enjoy in Christ and we pray that you'd help us to press on as those who do love you and look forward to receiving your crown of life at the end. Lord, please help us to continue to be those who serve you in our heart of hearts, to serve Jesus as Lord. And we pray for your help in all these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.